Hi and welcome to The Courageous Mama. This is a place where we get to journey together to encourage, equip and empower ourselves as parents, not just for the sake of our kids, but to enrich and strengthen ourselves as individuals too. So welcome and thank you for joining me. Just a quick admin note, any emails I received whilst I was on holiday got a quick response saying I'll be in touch on my return. And then a glitch in our system means they've disappeared without a trace. So if that's you, would you please contact me again? There were some great questions and I'd like to respond to those and I can't tell you how much it means to me that some of you have taken the time just to encourage and say what you're enjoying about the podcast. So thank you for that, but I do like to respond personally. So ping it again if you've not had a response and my apologies. This week, I've got a really interesting guest who I'm looking forward to introducing you to. But first of all, a bit of context. Con and I have always had in mind to foster at some point, but with five kids and a fixer-upper of a house, there just never seemed to be the right moment. But about five or so years ago, we decided to talk about it again and we sat all the children down and said, do you know, we're just kind of thinking, processing, praying, talking, wondering about fostering. And we just wanted to let you know, so if you overhear conversations between us, that's what we're talking about. So they took it in and they were sort of quiet and just pondering it. But one of them went completely white and their little hand went in the air and they said, please, not me. There's a case in point about when we say things to our children and we're quite sure they've heard what we meant, but not so. Anyway, we cleared that one up. And last year, one of our children challenged us and said, when are you going to get on with it? So we started the process and along the way we've learned so much about what's going on out there in the world of fostering and many of our friends have been massively supportive and they've asked some great questions about what's involved. I don't know about you but I don't come across many fostering mums or dads yet there's so much of it going on in our own communities so I thought it'd be great to talk about this aspect of parenting on The Courageous Mama. So I was thrilled to spend some time with Steve Cresswell. He's my local fostering guru. He and his wife Julie had a real heart for fostering and back in 2008 when they were early married they had their first of three long-term placements. They knew that they wanted to foster before they knew whether they wanted to have children of their own. So find out how that went for them. Steve was our first point of contact when we went on an information evening and we kind of gingerly turned up at the council wondering what on earth we were letting ourselves in for. And he was so reassuring. He's a senior family support worker, so he oversees a team of support workers who support those people who are fostering here in Gloucestershire. And I started by asking him what the statistics were here in our county. Yeah, so at the moment in Gloucestershire, we've got around about 750 children who are fostered in Gloucestershire at the moment. I think a couple of years ago, that was more like 700 kind of mark. And it does seem to be, uh, unfortunately in that sense, a a growing need rather than a decreasing need. Uh, I think unfortunately with the impact of coronavirus and everything and some of the knock-on effects of some of the things that aren't being seen at the moment with children not being at school and in places where referrals often end up coming for children that need that kind of support and that kind of care. You make an interesting point there because 
I think you probably do pick up some of these issues, don't you, from neighbours, from school teachers, and mm-hmm. all of that's off the table at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's very much more, yeah, hidden kind of issues really. So it's definitely a real concern, and I think there you know, are some statistics and facts out there to back it up that, uh, yeah, there's a, a likelihood, unfortunately, that there are many children who may well be in situations that would normally be picked up on in those kind of forums that where it's not being at the moment and uh, and also you know the inevitable knock-on effect potentially of families who are struggling with different issues being locked in together without those you know healthy positive kind of um, space to to learn to do work to do to attend school to be out doing the normal things of life but being sort of t- shut in together for a period of months is difficult for all of us in some ways you know that have been through this period so far but even, perhaps even more so for families that were really struggling with a lot of difficulties and issues as well so mm. and did you find when you fostered you were able to be really compassionate for the family who had had to give up their child for a while yeah i mean it, it's a real challenge with fostering the, the the kind of the way that you work with the the birth family is the the phrase that's used you know but yeah the, the mums the dads the siblings grandparents whoever of the uh, the children you foster and it really does vary child to child and, and situation to situation so some foster carers work really closely with uh, the birth families and there may be a plan for the child to go back home once the parents have perhaps worked through and resolved some of the difficulties that's led to the children coming into care um in other cases as was mainly with us we would mainly foster in children long term who very much were they're going to be in care until they're 18 and then it's their choice once they're an adult of what they do next and um they would still see parents uh, but it was much more sporadic and much more via the the social worker uh, coordinating all of that so we would have a little bit of contact maybe with the, the parents but not a lot you talk about long-term foster caring and of course there's short-term foster caring as well Mm. so does that mean some children leap from home to home to home why is it that some have long-term some have short-term um so initially it's partly down to the the process the 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 courts kind of process so it's really important the priority for the, the whole process of looking at children and what their needs are for the courts is first priority is how can we work with the birth family how can we make sure this child and these parents have every opportunity to work through any difficulties and that child to stay where they are so that's always rightly the first priority um and fostering is you know only only becomes relevant after a sequence of events and things being assessed and proved that actually there is genuine risk of harm to these this child these children and they need to come into care for reasons that have been really evidenced it may be that they come into care for an agreed first few, you know a, a period of weeks or months whilst parents are trying to resolve things and trying to you know uh, get help and support with any issues they're struggling with and then if they can show that they've resolved those things a child may go back to those parents in other cases it's absolutely been proven in the courts that, that this is you know the, these children need stability for the rest of their childhood they need to uh know that they're going to be looked after and that those risks of harm are insurmountable uh, in terms of their own family background so that's where it becomes more of a long term and then what does it look like once a child has been fostered i mean as you know we're on the fostering journey we haven't been approved yet i haven't gone mm. to panel as the expression goes <laughs> yeah. um but we're on that journey and yeah. of course we're thinking what's this going to look like and yep. 
actually there's a team around the child isn't there there's some things that you wouldn't necessarily have thought about so talk us through that you know what's around the child yeah so every child that comes into foster care they they have their own uh, social worker who um, whose main focus is that child and their needs and working with the birth family on you know any time they do the child does see their family arranging those contacts as they're called and the nature of those visits and how they're organized how often they are and all that kind of thing so the child social worker and then there's a fostering social worker um, and their focus is on the foster carers making sure they're supported that they have a regular monthly supervision conversation about how things are going making sure that also the foster carer is learning and developing their understanding of what the child might have been through and their background and and some of the difficulties they've come from um so that they're the two key initial people you have with every child in care child social worker foster carers social worker and then you have folks like myself my role is a, what's called a family support worker um where we again work within the fostering context to support foster placements uh, that may be new placements where a child's go been matched with carers but there's a lot of um areas of concern there of how it's going to go and how, how well things are going to work so we might put a bit of extra support in that somebody visits once a week maybe takes the child out after school gives them time and space to talk about any things that are going on uh, does activities with them um, and also can be a, a bit of a go-between for the the foster carer too to have a bit of extra kind of in between the sort of monthly visits have a bit of extra input or sometimes where we have a foster place where things are really challenging and where the carers are finding some of the issues and the behaviors that they're coming up against really difficult and it's called like instability you know the placements become unstable is can this carry on or is this gonna have to come to an end this child living with these carers you know um, so again they might ask for a family support worker to again no one's got a magic wand to be able to go in and sort everything out and resolve everything but just provide that little bit of extra input and support to the child and to the carers so so there's social workers, family support workers, and then you've got you know the, the teachers at school being involved with regular uh, meetings, um, the medical staff involved with checking, you know, obviously for the children that everything medically is okay. That we've got therapeutic support for children where they have you know specific areas of their trauma and the backgrounds they're from that they need that additional support, uh, and a whole host of other <laughs> professionals that can get involved. Yeah. There is a whole team and really need to work together for the so inevitably hurt people hurt people don't they and mm. I suppose one of the things that we're conscious of and our friends and family have asked us you know how are you going to cope is this going to be a very difficult child do you find by and large they are disturbed children that give a lot of kickback or can they be very easy children all of the above really <laughs> <laughs> absolutely all of the above uh, again I always say from the, the seven years Judy, my wife and I, that we fostered, we always genuinely say it's the probably one of the most rewarding things we've ever done and also one of the most challenging things we've ever done, definitely. Um, Take me through some of those challenges. Okay, so, yeah, I mean, challenges are, I mean, one the one lad we fostered for the longest, he came to us when he was 11 and he was with us for five and a half years at that time we fostered. Um, he, for five years, really, up until he was 16, we had some challenges he struggled in school there were behavioral issues and struggles there because of some of the background he was from and the education he'd missed where uh, you know he had a low self-esteem about his educational development anyway and then <clears throat> would get into difficulties i think sometimes perhaps rather than asking for help and support it would be a way to distract from him feeling stupid in a class situation and not knowing what to do so 
you know behaviors coming out and having to deal with that so we'd have calls about things like that and support but the school was really good very supportive very understanding with his needs and um actually most of the first five years other than a few things like that he was great you know he was a breeze and our family were brilliant with him our friends were great with him really made him feel part of the family he had his contact with his birth family every school holiday he'd have a sort of two-hour session with a social worker supervising it to make sure he was okay and that nothing untoward happened but it was a good positive session he would go to those enjoy them come away again with no issues there can be sometimes in fostering where it can cause upset or stir mm, things up between the carer that. and the children you know mm, mm. but he was always very almost compartmentalized with it i suppose that he went enjoyed it came back and said what's for tea then you <laughs> know we you know can i watch the football or, or whatever you know right. <clears throat> but actually with him that that was it ultimately that was the kind of in many ways one of the most rewarding parts experiences for us in fostering but also the most challenging because when he turned 16 <clears throat> just a, a number of a sequence of events happened over a six-month period that were really really challenging and it almost you know stepping back from the situation it almost felt like a switch somebody flicked a switch in his head at that point i think it was partly the fact he was 16 meant he had more choices and more freedoms that he than he was probably ready for uh, and i think unfortunately much as we tried to you know positively steer him in, in, in to to have friends that were healthy and positive for him and stuff i think he did end up to getting into friendship group with a, a group of guys that actually all individually were lovely but i think together kind of egged each other on to things that weren't so healthy and um yeah just a six month period really where we were still very committed to him but we had a lot of issues we had an issue with one of these friends uh, pulling a knife on him we had an issue further down the line with him staying out and not coming home and us having to call the police in the middle of the night and find him and bring him home and that kind of stuff and it was a very up and down six months but we we still felt actually this is tricky this is a lot of stuff going on here but we're still committed to him for the the future into adult life to possibly you know hopefully stay living with us if he wants to um, but actually at 16 and a half he made a decision quite out of the blue from our perspective that he wanted to move on and what didn't want to be with us anymore so that was really challenging and, and really upsetting you know Gosh, that must have been yeah. so painful having yeah. invested all those years yeah yeah we, we often said to close friends you know kind of like a bereavement yeah. and yet you know that the, the the lad is still there still alive still around and uh, and thankfully in the last few years we've managed to sort of be in touch again he's living a long way away getting on with his life as an adult now but we're in good contact again oh, and messaging great. and um yeah so um but actually yeah that first year or two probably actually there was a lot of very mixed strange feelings mm. of like like to kind of stay in touch but oh. but we're also quite bruised and, and hurt emotionally knowing that he doesn't mean it knowing that it's nothing personal it's all coming from some of the issues from his background and uh, that come into the surface i guess yeah. and the trauma that he's suffered yeah uh, and they talk on the course because we've done the course skills to foster where they go through quite a lot of the different scenarios with you and obviously from the background of my work i would know also that where there is disconnect and what you might call attachment issues or lack of attachment mm. that neurally they don't get the connections in their brain that they need in order to thrive on every level yeah do you personally believe that's overcomable yeah i do um i don't think you you can't fix or undo what's been done you can't turn back the clock unfortunately much as we'd love to uh, for many of our children who've, who've been through such things you'd never want any child to go through in, in many cases you know but yeah there are certainly in those early years of a child's life again i'm no huge expert from the training i'm involved with and, and and we receive and pass on 
to carers from those who do really know this stuff um you know yeah significant biological issues with the brain and how it develops particularly in those early years uh, but there's also very much within all of the science behind all of that there's what the, the phrase used is plasticity there's a there's a period of time particularly in the kind of adolescent teenage years um for young people where there is a, a sort of almost a window of can hope to kind of restore some of those things that perhaps haven't haven't become biologically connected the way they should have done with that if you have a healthy connection and relationship with your you know your parents your primary caregiver those things that have lacked in the early years for many of our children in care they can't be completely you know restored 100 percent, but there's there is a really hopeful kind of window there biologically and i think also i know for the three lads particularly that we're still in touch with that are all in their 20s now what we always feel as a couple about them uh, and we talk about again a lot generally in fostering is that you know what you've given for these children is you've given them an opportunity to see how life can be you've given them hopefully some of that biological connection and attachment stuff that is absolutely essential um, and within that too you've given them another option as they grow into their adult lives it may be that it doesn't it, they follow it straight away in their adult lives it may be not until their 30s or 40s and having gone through goodness knows what issues and choices um, that, that the penny drops or that they remember those experiences and those options that you've been able to provide of what life can be like Mm. no family's perfect no foster care is perfect yeah. least of all us you know yeah. but at least you've given them a sense of when it when life is pretty stable people are reliable people deliver the things they say they're going to do people are kind to you if you make a mistake they're not going to jump on you and you know treat you in a horrible way they're going to work through it and try yes. and demonstrate predictability yeah so. and patience yeah. and compassion and understanding rather than abuse uh, yeah. or neglect or whatever yes. so you've given them those options for the future for their you know any children they might have their their, their future yeah. to hopefully hopefully break the cycle of what they've been through yes yes and i'd love to agree with that i can't help feeling that there's hope absolutely no matter what damage is done in the early stages i'd love to think that you know with enough love and affection and uh, mm. consistency and so on that you can sew something back in at the same time we're not fooled into thinking we're the magic cure. That would be a big mistake, wouldn't it? To go into fostering thinking, oh, we're offering you something you haven't had. We're the great answer to your problems. Because actually it doesn't work like that, does it? You can't go in with that expectation. Yeah, I mean, no, that's right. You, you can do the best you can do in the time those children are with you. And um, uh, But you, you, I mean, I was just thinking again, what, you know, another, what, there was one, lad came to us he was age 14 when he started to you know be foster by us and he'd had 19 different foster placements before he came to us um wow. and i don't know all the details of all of those and in fact i know the two previous carers he had an ongoingly positive relationship with and we stayed in touch with them and they would go and stay with them occasionally and they became part of his kind of support network for the future so some of those placements were meant to be short-term whilst they were looking for a long-term plan you know some of those were not great from you know what we were aware of of what went on in his background and and that lad you know absolutely precious lad uh, so we're again still in touch with him now and um we only know what he tells us you know about what's going on in his life but from what we can gather he's you know he's living independently in his 20s he's holding down a job um and he regularly will get in touch with us on things like birthdays and father's day and mother's day and drop us a message and oh, say just wanted to wish you happy father's day yeah. or uh, just you know and um so interesting. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that you've mentioned there is something that struck me during the course. 
we all have a story don't we mm. you were born somewhere you grew up somewhere and even if let's say you had a peripatetic life and you were in the army you still got stability across your childhood yeah these kids they grow up without that story i love the idea of creating a book in the time that they're with you right. and then they can move on with that can't they yeah and continue their story so that at the end they've got a linear story of who mm. am I because identity is so important mm. isn't it absolutely yeah so we absolutely talk to you know carers about having sort of memory boxes or, or scrapbooks or whatever photo books and, and there's a particular work project going on in, at the moment in the council really looking at um, something called a life story workbook which is something that um, you know we, we really want all children in care to have that specifically you know general memory boxes of you know tickets from days out photographs and things are great you know but we're really trying to sort of up our game as a local authority on that front as well to really make it more consistent for every child in care that has something that we've got stored on the system if if it gets you know misplaced or not passed on or whatever so what are you hoping that the life story will have in apart from the days out and the photographs what are you adding to that so it's it really will be um details about that child's you know life um you know how they came into the world and who was involved with that and 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 the different folks that they've lived with and why they've been there and you know trying to make sure that things are explained for a child in a way that makes sense for them at their age you know that they can understand again that whole sense of who they are and where they're from and who they've been with and why they've been in different places so so that for them into adult life again when they want to reflect back or at different points as a teenager or whatever they've got that yeah, that story of this is who you are, this is where you're from, this is why your situation may be different to a lot of your friends at school or whatever, um, but actually this is who you are as a person. That These things that have happened to you aren't about you as an individual, they're about the adults around you. Again, a life story book isn't going to resolve all that overnight, but hopefully it's going to give them that clarity of explanation in a way they can understand in child-friendly language so they can really understand, ah, this wasn't my choices then, this wasn't my fault, this mm. was adults' choices that... Have been involved here. Yeah. Tough for a child, isn't it, to have yeah. so many choices made for them, not by parents, but by mm. people in authority. So mm. take me through to 16, 18, 20. What happens to a foster child when they hit those ages? Yeah, so when there is a what's called a care order uh, for a child to be remaining care until they're 18, that basically means they could not, they're not, the courts have confirmed after all the evidencing and proof that the child couldn't you know will not be allowed to live with their parents until they're 18 and then once they're an adult it's their choice what they do as for any of us with our lives you know uh, but once a child is 16 they do have that sort of option to not have to live in foster care if they don't wish to but if they've got that court order they couldn't go home to mum or dad or both they would have to either look at supported living kind of options where they live in a, a bed sit or a flat or whatever and have um, you know people who regularly visit them to make sure things are going okay have their social workers still to be regularly checking in with them and uh, help them towards independence most of the time you know again we don't we try and work with children to find them a, another foster placement if they want to you know leave so and the lad I say that we had when he was about 16 and a half it happened with him that he announced he wanted to move on from us and in the end they did move him to they did work with him on his options and spelt things out a little more clearly than he may have had in his mind of how idyllic it might be to live independently and do his own thing he did in the end move on to another foster carer until he was 18. 
You can imagine the lure though, can't you? Yeah. You've been bounced from home to home, you've got to 16, and you can, if you want, be council supported to live independently. That's mm. got to be an attractive proposition for someone who's had a checkered past. Yeah, absolutely. And that is, yeah, definitely one of the challenges, you know, that uh, for us as the local authority, you know, working with those children to listen to their voice and, and, and listen to their views and their feelings and take those really seriously. Uh, and also bearing in mind, um, giving them the realities of, OK, well, here's your choices and here's what will happen in that situation. And and yeah, you will have children, young people sometimes that maybe make that choice and then realise a few months in that think perhaps things aren't as <laughs> dreamy and perfect looking after yourself and all that involves day to day. The freedom of it sounds lovely. <laughs> the responsibility of doing all your own washing, cleaning, cooking, option, you know. Isn't it? Because most kids wouldn't get off with that. No. And it's not ideal, really, is it? You're no. quite ready at, at 16. And no. then at 18, what happens? Does the council sign off at that point? No, so uh, there's uh, ongoing support and involvement with, with children care. I mean, up, up until, certainly up until they're 21, and, and if they're in education and if they're doing further education, university, things like that, there's ongoing support until they're 25. But that, that is the challenge of it. It is very much once you're 18, you're no longer a child in care because you're not a child. So the funding and all the support attached to a child in care at one level ends at 18. There was a, a, a new scheme that came into force a few years ago called a staying put scheme. And that is with additional support and government finance for that very situation where a child has become an adult, the fostering funding technically has ended and all the support for them being a child in care. But this staying put scheme, uh, where it's applied for and, and felt to be right and everyone's agreed to it and signed up to it, provides more support and finances for the carers and for the child that isn't typical, isn't for necessary that every child can have that, unfortunately. We haven't got the resources yet for that. But there is that scheme there that carers and we as the local authority can look at and apply for so they're not left high and dry no no mm. and again certainly for us the first two lads we fostered uh, one was 17 when it came to us the other lad i mentioned was 14 both of them were with us when we had their 18th birthday and did you know all kinds of celebrations for their 18th and both of those young young lads um young men uh, stayed living with us post 18 uh, so technically they became what's called supported lodgings it was called uh, with a different financial arrangement, different support arrangement, but they stayed with us for a period of months until they decided they were ready to move on. And then we helped work with their leaving care worker to set them up in a new place to make sure they had everything they needed. They both initially lived locally and they would come round to us for tea. We're gently coming into this sort of arena and finding that quite often people that foster know someone that fosters or yeah. they had fostered siblings when they were younger do you mm. find that that's the way it kind of networks yeah i think so it does seem with a lot of when people first ring up to ask about fostering and inquire about it or or get in touch through the website or whatever it really yeah very much seems in not necessarily every case but almost every case that there will be some personal connection work colleague experience as a child growing up as i say with my wife that she babysat a family with foster children there'll be some kind of link or connection Sometimes it'll be to adoption or fostering or both, you know, and the two you obviously have a lot of connection. But, um, yeah, there often will be some kind of personal connection there. I think, um, obviously, we do a lot of great work, you know, really important work about raising the profile, marketing, getting the word out there, advertisements on bridges people often see and um, on radio adverts and uh, emails and, and social media, using all the 
the tools you're meant to use to try and promote the the need unfortunately that we do have uh, for more carers you know we do we don't have enough carers uh, for the children we have in Gloucestershire for us it was um, um, we used to take disabled children on holiday right and um, one of the mums was a foster mum and this is going back gosh you know 30 or so years right. and it just sort of stuck and mm. we weren't able to come back to it till more recently because we had five of our own and you know we were doing up a house and we just weren't just weren't a viable fostering option over the last few years but we are now but it's interesting how it is just that one person you meet and you think wow mm. that's an amazing thing to do she had fostered over a hundred children she wow. came to stay recently actually and she brought her OBE with her oh wow <laughs> yeah amazing yeah and so that's also been influential for us yeah. but tell me where does the word fostering come from derivative of a word apparently called fostrian an old english word called uh, fostrian which literally meant apparently to nourish or to rear oh that's lovely okay so apparently that's the background to amazing how that that's the original root of it and it absolutely follows through it's so much about what fostering is about is yeah. that providing children with that nourishment that rearing that supporting uh, and again as you say you can't wave a magic wand and make everything okay and undo everything that is there in the background but you can really give that positive input that nourishment that security and love and stability yeah. that children for one reason or another often either haven't had or have had a very chaotic version of it we've had an amazing experience with Gloucestershire Council I know it's hard for you to be objective but do you think they are particularly progressive in this area yeah definitely I mean again I'll, I'll always be honest about you know the, the years we fostered we so we started in 2008 and the lady we knew one of our colleagues who fostered fostered with an agency and um, she recommended them to us and we fostered with that agency in the end we we looked at Gloucestershire at the time in 2007 sort of time when we were first looking into it and um, we didn't really have a great impression at that point you know this is going 13 years ago you know um, maybe it was just a bad day or whatever but we went along to a session it wasn't very well run and we didn't enjoy it and the lady who recommended us to this agency it was very positive the experience with them all the way along the journey was very positive and they were great you know and we fostered with them for the seven years we fostered what I would say genuinely is that um, the more years that went by the more we saw things improving in what the local authority were doing and the support they were providing to carers and to children and the more we saw uh, the difference between an agency and the local authority sort of leveling up more um, and I think you know certainly working in the local authority and being aware of how these things are you know it's actually the more in-house foster carers we have the more children we can foster you know from a purely financial point of view it you know, it costs the local authority pretty much double the amount for a child to be in care with an agency as it does a child with one of our in-house carers. You know, we obviously don't want to get too much into all that financial side of it because it can seem very uh, cold when you're talking about children. Mm -hmm. um, but we do very much have a progressive push to really constantly be looking at how can we provide more input for our foster carers? How can we improve the, the training, the development, the therapeutic support? Um, and all that kind of thing and even in, again the last three years that i've been in the council there's constantly new things coming up saying right we've got this new support we can offer we've uh you know we're working with the uh, the uh, cams the, the 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 children's mental health service and, and therapeutic support and we've got a, a project in place for new carers in their first year where they have uh, four uh, consultations with uh, therapists and working with cams um whether things are going 
wonderfully well with their children they foster or whether they're really struggling with issues that they have that safe space to talk to independent you know people working with us all and reflect on how it's going and for those uh, you know those experts to really provide the carers with that sort of listening ear and also thoughts and ideas to grasp and develop their understanding of what children from a traumatized background have been through what their experiences might be how those carers can respond in different ways and you know um and of course support. all carers are bringing their own stuff to the table aren't yeah they? so as our journey has gone on we've been interviewed on many different aspects of our life but they've really dug back to our own childhood sure our good experiences our poor experiences i've mm. been quite impressed at the level that they've gone to to make sure that there isn't anything in our past that's going to cause us a stumbling block for the future i don't think it would have eliminated us but i feel that they were just trying to work out actually is yeah. there anything in there that's going to turn you upside down when a child with difficulties is coming to live in your home mm. i was quite impressed with the depth that they went to and as you say it's, it's cold to be monetary but fact for fact um there was a period there wasn't there where you were paid more as a foster carer mm -hmm through an agency than through the council mm. and that's not the case anymore and I'm sure foster carers don't go in it for the money you couldn't this is a calling mm. but at the same time I do think it's progressive of the council to commiserate those two different cost levels so yeah. that people can weigh up the pros and cons without the financial factor yeah definitely and um, one of our focuses is always on how can we make sure the children we're having lost are replaced to an increasing degree with our in-house carers that's our priority for all kinds of just define what you mean by that so an in-house carer so is... somebody who's fostering with Gloucestershire County Council rather than with a fostering agency so all the all the finances that are attached to you know the, the children in care and stuff and all the support that's there comes directly to from the council to those carers rather than going to an agency to pay for all their overheads and... so just for clarity if a child is fostered with an agency in the county they're still under the council care aren't they but yeah it's just sort of one step removed yeah exactly um, but in that sense as well you know our priority is always to look at when we have children needing placements through our priority will always be right do we have one of our gcc foster carers that we can place that child with that's always our first place to look and our priority then we need to look if we can't do that at you know other options that are out there uh, for foster carers with agencies if we haven't got the carers available ourselves to meet the needs of those children really um, so in the last year like 2019-20 there was a I think it was um, 1026 requests for foster placement in that year and of, of the of the 1026 three I think it was about 304 of those were siblings so you know need to find foster carers who have capacity to take in two children or three children in, right, in one would presumably go. be your ideal to put them together yeah i mean there are circumstances and again it will all be assessed and reviewed where it's uh, agreed and understood that for the various needs of those children that it's better for them to be in different homes but most of the again the first kind of option is to look at how can we keep these children together and do you have many foster carers that can take in more than one I mean, we do, but we, it's one of the areas of real needs. It's one of the areas of real shortage, you know, practically as much as anything. Do you have one spare bedroom, two, three spare bedrooms? Depending on the age of the children, being siblings, some may be able to share for a period of time, but, you know, it uh, depends on the circumstances. So, yeah, we do find that's one of the areas we need. Also, parent and child placements where uh, a foster care will have a birth mum or birth dad or 
you know, couple with a newborn baby where there are concerns that obviously that they need to be uh, in a foster placement but they actually will you know, foster those parents and their, their, their child for a, a period of weeks and the foster care in that role has a really unique kind of dual role partly very much supporting those parents and trying to help them upskill them and support them in that so they could hopefully have their child with them for the rest of their lives and and whatever but also that foster carer is writing an assessment that will then go towards the final court decisions to actually um reflect on that it's normally i think a 12-week period that they're with them and how's it gone how how engaged are those parents how much are they wanting to change any things that may have been the reasons why they're there in the first place so we have a shortage in that area we have some great carers who do parent and child placements and, and do you ever turn foster carers down what would be a reason for not being able to foster uh yeah we do i mean one of the things when people first ask about fostering that we in our very first conversation with them we ask that we have to ask their permission to just check their name on our own systems um and we will have folks inquiring about fostering who um you know have their own children in care and you know um, and maybe have worked through some things and um uh it's a few years down the line or whatever but or may have things that have been flagged about them on our system when we check their name that you're like, just kind of this isn't right you know you, you can't be fostering and again it's a balance with that you know it may be folks who do come up on our system that there have been issues and difficulties in their past but it may be a number of years ago and we can talk with them about what's gone on over the last five years ten years whatever that demonstrates actually we've all got a story we've all got backgrounds we've all had difficulties and issues to one degree or another that doesn't exclude you from fostering necessarily but we do have to ask for that permission to to check that and to see if that flags anything we'll often talk to folks about kind of where they're at in life and whether this is the right time for them so you know folks who have a new, if somebody asks about fostering and they've got a newborn baby aged you know six months or whatever it might be a, again a little bit of a we'll often talk with them about you know maybe wait until your child's two or more it's not black and white about that necessarily but it, it is thinking about what capacity do you have to foster a child with lots of difficulties and needs and perhaps sometimes some challenging behaviors or whatever i noticed that um, actually in our process so we started last september hmm. and then my dad got quite sick and so we suspended. Yeah. And then when we came back to it, they were very kind and interested mm. to know whether or not I was really ready to yeah. make the step after my dad had died. Now that is absolutely one of the key questions we ask: is where have there been any recent yeah you know, bereavements or any significant you know relationship break? We we'll ask folks about you know are you in a if you're in a relationship is it a stable relationship that you've been in for you know, a couple of years maybe. Is it a new relationship you're just starting out? And because again, it's that thing of you know, none of us can guarantee anything about our relationships, of course. And uh, somebody may have been say, oh yeah, I've been married 15 years, and you know, who knows what might happen with that? We hope that's a great sign. But what we're looking for as much as we can, and as much as any of us can guarantee, is stability. Although you do, in fact, have single people. Oh yeah, them, don't you? absolutely, loads. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So again, yeah, it's very much talking with the individuals, single folks, couples yeah about their own circumstances and making sure it's the right time for them you know we it's that balance you know we absolutely need more foster carers and uh, we you know we're, we're really passionate and enthusiastic to raise the profile and get more and more carers in because the need is there unfortunately for more carers you know um, but we want to absolutely make sure for each individual person who applies for each couple who apply 
that it's right for them we don't want people doing it uh you know with just a, a nice idea yeah you know, it's really got to be right it's a big step your role in the community is to support foster carers and of course sometimes there will be a breakdown for whatever reason mm. do you ever feel tempted to go we'll take them in <laughs> does your heart ever go all right i'll take it from here well i mean i, I guess from a yeah, there may be times where there's a, a tug of the heartstring or an emotional feeling of that, and then there's the practicalities. Of, I mean, our circumstances personally now are such that you know we're living in a three-bedroom house with two young children, so there isn't even the option there. If Maybe we that's a good thing. Wanted to, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and yeah, the, the thing of me working in the role I am and then fostering is you know is more would be more of a challenging kind of issue, but definitely, we we never we, we all say who knows what's going to happen in ten years time, fifteen years time, but whether we may come back to fostering or not, but there's certainly. Whenever we hear about things or see something on a film or a TV series that deals with the fostering issue, particularly where it's dealt with well, where you're like, there's a series we're watching at the moment on Amazon called This Is Us, and it deals with the fostering stuff really well. You're like, whoever's been involved with writing this really has either been there and done it or really gets it, you know. So we're in the middle of series two at the moment where fostering is a big feature for one of the families now. And um, you're like, they really get it. You know, we've been That's there and so done it. Good. It's yeah. really perceptive and the, the way it's been written and the way the realities of the joys and the struggles of fostering, you know. Mm-hmm. So it is one of those things, whenever we come across that, and again, in my job, speak to different carers, meet different children, it almost feels like there's something there still that partly I can express through my work and through the nature of the job I'm doing, but still a little nagging thing for both Julie and I. Maybe in the future, it might be something we come back to as a, as a couple as well speaking of your own parenting yeah um the podcast as you know is called the courageous mama Mm -hmm. what's a courageous thing that you've done as a parent um yeah it's a really really good question i mean one example that comes to mind is uh, with our own children jasmine oliver they're now coming up just actually tomorrow my daughter turns seven and next week my son turns five so they're both that august kind of uh, age in terms of starting school very young when they just turned four and started school and um <laughs> and one of the issues we found you know they're both at a great school school really really impressed with it really positive really nurturing and great on so many levels but one of the things that came up very early when jasmine started school was in reception year them kind of starting to set homework and talk about homework and, 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 and the child needed to do things at home when she was four. And we made a stand very early on with the school and being very in a very constructive, very positive, honest way of us just saying, personally, we don't really believe in homework for children of that kind of age, that young. Uh, it's each their own on it. And I know there's various debates and it's a whole wider, it's a whole other series of podcasts for you, Madeline, I'm sure. But, <laughs> but, um, but for us personally, we were like, we... You know, if our children wish want to do the homework to consolidate some of their learning and they're enjoying it, that's great. But we want their education to be something that they enjoy, that they thrive on, that helps them grow and develop rather than from such a young age. Another pressure, uh, our concern perhaps as parents is that in our society, sometimes there's so much pressure on children and young people to achieve and succeed. And, and then you sometimes look at some of the mental health challenges and needs that are coming up for children, young people, and, you know, the two perhaps some may argue maybe a bit related at times you know anyway so that's been one of our courageous things was to talk with the school very early in parents evenings and discussions but be very clear we are not gonna force our children to do homework at this kind of age and was that hard to hold your nerve did that break your relationship with the teacher at all no in fact they were very good they were very much they gave us all their own reasons that all schools i guess or most schools have 
uh, the reasons why they set homework, what the purpose of it is. Uh, and yeah, at first it was a bit, and we didn't necessarily know many of our peers who were parents of children of that age who've made that stand may have similar thoughts or feelings about that. So it was a bit of a courageous step, but we felt it was genuinely about our priorities, the best for our children. And with all respect to everybody else, we're totally open to other views and perspectives on what's going on for our children and learning from that. But ultimately, we know our children better than anybody. Actually, they don't need that pressure and that extra thing to be doing when they get home at that young age. So Sometimes you've got to fight their corner, haven't you? Exactly, exactly. And, you know, again, really links into fostering totally, you know, that advocating for a child's circumstances and needs that as a foster carer that need to absolutely be working as a team member or pulling hopefully in the same direction with all these different professionals you're involved with or working towards the the kind of common good for the child you're caring for that there will come certain challenge points differences of opinion and over certain things where you as a carer really need to absolutely be you know doing what you're told you need to do you know on, on one level but also really challenging and questioning and advocating for the child because again you're going to have these children living with you day in day out you will in many areas know better than everybody else and you may have a perspective that really needs to be heard over certain decisions that are being made to really be that voice for the child if they can't express it themselves depending on their age their background their ability to you know put into words what they're going through we really do talk about that's one of the key one of the many key aspects of a role of a foster care is advocating for the needs of their child in a calm way, in a professional way, in a reasonable adult grown-up kind of way, but really advocating for actually this is what we feel our child needs. He's a gem, isn't he? He's so knowledgeable, but his heart is for the well-being of each child, and that's what I love about him. I also love that note that each and every child needs someone to be a voice for them, and so as foster parents, they get a chance to be an advocate, to be a voice for that child. How true is that? I'll keep you posted about our fostering journey and whether we get approved. But all being well, we'll have our first placement in October and it feels like a really big deal. So it'll be great to share a little bit about that as we journey together. Keep those questions coming. My email is in the show notes and I'll begin to address your questions on the podcast. And if you're enjoying the Courageous Mama podcast, I think you'll love my book. It's a beautiful, hardback, fully illustrated book. It's designed so that you can read one page or you can go from cover to cover. So if you love the idea of raising emotionally healthy children, there's everything in there from belonging and identity through consequences, not punishment, social media and the basic neurology of the developing brain. Yup, that insight on why our kids do the things that they do. It's available to my podcast listeners and my blog readers for a £5 discount off the retail price. So pop over to my website and have a look. You'll find that in the show notes. Also on the website, you'll find notes on the subjects that I cover here on the podcast. So if you feel like you want something in text, that's the place to find it. I look forward to seeing you there and catching up with you again here. See you next week.